Oh Lord, we confess with our mouth that the Lamb of God that you have sent to the earth, he has taken away the sin, our sin, and fulfilled your divine purpose and that you have paid and satisfied your just wrath against sin, that those who believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ might be a people for your own possession who are worthy because worthy to give you praise because you have cleansed us and filled us with your very spirit. And so, Lord, now I pray on the same attitude of worship as we approach now your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher in this time. Would you take distraction away from us? Would you even remove me? And we ask, Lord, that you would do your work in us. Transform us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you want to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. While you're doing that, I would like to tell you about one of the highlights of being a parent. I think many of you parents might have had this experience, and that is something called driver's education. It's a highlight because your student becomes a driver, and everybody gets an education in the process. That's why it's called driver's education. I mean, and people are involved in this. You need to know that when your student, your kid, is at driving age, this is like a neighborhood event. Everyone knows, you know. I mean, parents are warning their children, but they're watching to see how it's going. How is the starting going? How is it driving, reversing? How that's all happening? Uh, Neighbors are watching. You need to know that insurance agents, they're praying, okay? I mean, everybody's involved when it comes to driver's education. Now, let me tell you, driving a car is not easy. Okay, now I know some of you are like, oh, I'm an old pro. I've been driving for years. But I want to take you back to when you were first learning how to drive. Remember how miserable that was? Remember how difficult difficulties that you faced? I remember learning on my grandparents' farm when I was a kid. And man, I mean, I felt like my grandfather was risking his life to be in that truck with me. But, you know, he was just kind of, here we go. Let's go look at those cows. You're a little close to the fence here, you know, things like that. But it's hard. I mean, you know, you know, there's so much to, to understand about driving. You got to, first of all, learn how to take it out of park. Uh, if you're doing the, a stick shift, I mean, that's difficult. You got to learn how to make it go forward, how your car goes in reverse. Um, but you know, actually, one of the more dangerous uh, situations in driving is that when your car is in neutral. See, when your car's in neutral, uh, that, the contour of the land, the slope, whatever you're on, that determines then where your car's going. Unless you hit the brake or put it in gear, or put it in park, if you're on a slope and you're in neutral, your car is going to go in that direction. That's, that's what I mean, neutral. It's just whatever happens. Someone pushes you, the car goes because it's, it's in neutral. And you know what? When this happens here, uh, when you're in neutral, why any, anything could happen. Someone could push you. Um, you could find your car just rolling all of a sudden down a hill. And I tell you this because you know that neutral is actually dangerous when you're in a car. But do you know that being in neutral mentally is as dangerous, if not more dangerous? When you take life and approach daily living with a passive stance, just kind of whatever hits me, I'm going to kind of go with the flow, you need to know that you're putting yourself in a precarious, dangerous situation. 
like a car on a hill in neutral. You're about ready to have an accident. When people, when people actually just kind of live life in response to all the things that are going on to them or things that are in front of them, it's kind of like a plastic bag. Have you ever seen one of those little plastic bags in like Walmart or H-E-B? And they're just, and the wind picks it up and it just starts whipping it around and it's going up and down, might settle down, land on the ground a little bit. Then another little gust of wind comes up, picks it up. You see them blowing around in your neighborhood. You know, that actually is a picture of a lot of people's existence. All of a sudden, something hits them, and there's emotion, and next thing you know, they're flying, and then they kind of settle down, and they're just kind of like a plastic bag flowing around. Like, let me, let me tell you some, one of the approaches, a kind of a classic example of how people approach life passively, like living, living with their mind in neutral. Do you know that for most Americans, they spend a good chunk of their time in front of a, something that we call a TV and many of them have like about 500 channels. And you just kind of scan through that. And what you do is you just kind of place yourself right there in your little easy chair or your lazy boy, right? You, you know, kind of get your feet up there and you just tune out. And whatever's in front of you, whatever's going on in that box, that just starts dictating what you think about. It starts, you're shaping your perceptions, your understanding of reality, your, what you think about right and wrong. And, and it may elicit uh, suspense, mystery, um, adventure. You might get a little adrenaline rise from some of the things you're watching. It certainly can stir lust. I mean, that is, that is actually one of the major themes if you kind of do the channel surfing that you'll find is to solicit lust out of you, to you to enter into these scenes. And what happens is you go along with it. Your mind is in neutral and you just follow through with whatever you're seeing there. In fact, you're kind of like drawn to it. It leads you. The TV kind of becomes the leader of your mind. Well, let me give you another example of living life in neutral. And that is just whatever emotion hits you, and generally it's these negative emotions, why you allow them just to carry you and you continue on this path. You are just an emotional responder. And I'll tell you, this is dangerous. And if you do not actually apply the passage that we're looking at today, this, what I've been talking about, is likely your existence. The two verses we're going to look at today are critical to your spiritual and emotional well-being. If you check out and do not listen to and follow what the Word of God says in this particular passage, you are kind of going to start approaching life, living it in neutral. And I'll tell you, I find that I have to keep coming back to these verses. It's not like, oh, you know, I remember reading that about 10 years ago and, and I've, I've got it down. It doesn't work that way. And I find that I've got, I have, I have in my body my, a propensity to want to do wrong. It's the residual aspect of the flesh. It is, it's almost, it's inclined, it, it wants to do the wrong thing. Um, and I have, to, I have to follow, instead of following the Lord and his word, I find that my flesh would rather do what Grant wants to do. And not only that, but I find that I live in a world that is, makes it so easy for me to just slip my mind in neutral and let the culture dictate or the things, the environment dictate what I think about and what I, what I feel. And then not only that, but because I am a Christian, I place my faith in Christ, I have an enemy of my soul, Satan, who, although he cannot rob me of eternal life, cannot take away the salvation provided for me in Christ, he can try to rob me of my joy. He can try to distract me from anything but God. And I'll tell you, I don't think I'm alone. I think we all are facing this incessant battle. 
And today, the verses we're going to look at, it's going to take it head on. What we're going to be talking about here is going to remove us from a situation where we're just kind of living a spiritually lethargic life. It is going to take us out of complacent Christianity. Because if we do not, if we do not actually heed what God has written in these two verses, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like when you put water on hot asphalt, what happens? It just kind of evaporates. And that's kind of what happens in our life. We, if we do not actually apply this truth that we find in this passage, it's just kind of like the water, it hit the asphalt, and it just evaporated, and, it, and it, it's gone. We're not exactly sure where it's gone. And we live life no differently. Today, this hour is the hour for transformation and for change. If this passage is not woven in our life, how can we be any different than water that hits hot asphalt and just evaporates away? And so today, I'd like you to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. We're going to find that the Apostle Paul highlights that what we do with our mind is vitally important with our walk with God. Remember it this way, your mind matters. Look what he says. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You might want to remember this principle. What we do with our mind greatly affects our walk with God. That is why living life passively, just kind of whatever is in front of me, just kind of dictates where I'm going, is such a dangerous situation. We actually have to realize that our thought life, what we're actually processing, has a great bearing on how we live. And so what we need to do is we, first of all, need to realize that there's going to be a lot of thoughts that are out there that are calling for our attention, that are actually harmful to our well-being. They're kind of like impatient, incessant, crying, screaming little toddlers, and they're just like, ah, pick me up, you know, and, like, and they're trying to get your attention. If that doesn't work, they may throw something at you, and they're after, they want to cap, your mind to be captured with them. You devote your attention to these things that are totally off track. And so if we're going to understand how you and I are to live, it begins by understanding what does it ha- mean to have a mindset that walks with God. It's articulated in verse 8. So let me tell you this, and you know this. Physically, we know that you are what you eat. Have you ever heard that? You are what you eat, okay? So like, you know, if you are like a Mr. Donut man in the morning, right, and you do your donuts, and then, of course, you need to get through the day, so you turn into, uh, I'm into caffeine and um, maybe maybe some sugar, candy bars, kind of just kind of get your way with some junk food there. And then, then, of course, at night, the topper, because you've been eating good all day, so you can reward yourself. You become Mr. Bluebell at night, right? And you know that if, you, if that's your lifestyle, if that's kind of the things that you eat, why, eventually that shows up one way or the other, right? That's kind of how it happens, right? In fact, it's, isn't it sad how quickly it shows up? Like, I think it actually shows up that day, but, you know, it's, I don't know how this all works. But in many respects, you are what you eat. We know that. What you put in your body just has a way of manifesting itself. Friends, what you and I put 
in our mind, the things that we dwell upon, we focus on, they manifest itself in our life and our attitudes, how we approach, how we actually start seeing things. It is critical. That is why the Apostle Paul is saying, finally, don't miss this. This is the capstone of everything I've been saying in the book of Philippians. It is critical that you and I develop the right mindset. And so he's going to tell us what it is we're to focus on, things that are true and honorable and right and noble and worthy of praise. But before we actually talk about the things that we do focus on, We've got to take a few minutes to talk about the idea that you're going to have to exclude, say no, treat as a temptation, a lot of thoughts that are going to come your way. Let me tell you about a, a missionary you've never heard of before. Her name is Ella Spees, a missionary of about 100 years ago. Her, her husband, and her children uh, ministered to the pygmies in, Afri- in the African bush. Uh, they had no electricity, no modern luxuries. It was an extremely hot, humid environment. In fact, they, they lived in Africa and ministered there for over 52 years. Okay? Sound pleasant? Anybody want to sign up? All right. No electricity, no air conditioning. Uh, I read about this, this woman. Um, she would have to take her, her thermometer that was generally outside into her hut because at 120 degrees, once it hit there, her th- thermometer would break. And so in order to keep it cool enough so your thermometer would break, she'd actually bring it into the shade of her hut just so her thermometer could make it. Always breathing humidity, leaving everything familiar. Now, this woman apparently had much contentment, a lot of peace, and obviously left a major impression on the people that she was around, especially one of her daughters. One of her daughters really wanted to understand what, how is it that mom could have done that? And... When she was going through one of her mother's old diaries, she found what was worth more than silver and gold. This great treasure, this prescription of contentment written right down there that this woman, Ella Spees, lived by. And I'd just like to read it to you. She wrote in her diary, Never allow yourself to complain about anything, not even the weather. Never picture yourself in any other circumstances or someplace else. Never compare your lot with another's. Never allow yourself to wish this or that had been otherwise. Never dwell on tomorrow. Remember that tomorrow is God's, not ours. And I, I read that, and you know what? I was shamed. <laughs> I was like, gee. That doesn't sound like me. Does it sound like you? See, this woman had learned that if we're going to experience the peace of God, there have to be parameters that are set up in our life of things that we just are not going to allow our mind to go. You do not, and I do not have to allow our emotions to just dictate everywhere we're going. And generally, our emotions are going downward. This is a real struggle. This is a real battle. That is why these two verses are here. You know, contentment is, it's not, as, you know, what it is, it is a state of the heart, not a state of affairs. And God truly can cultivate and manifest his peace, his joy, his presence in our life if we'll simply follow what he has to say in these verses. That means that we're going to have to say no to the things that drag us down 
and say yes to the things that God wants our heart and our mind to dwell upon them. Let me just tell you something, Christian. Your mind matters. You cannot check your mind at the door and think, I'm just going to go through life. And you, you have to engage your mind. In fact, do you notice, did you see at the end of verse 8, he said, dwell on these things. That word dwell means to think on, to consider, to ponder, to think about it over and over and over again. These are the things that we have to dwell on. So I want to give you a little cooking lesson. And I'm no authority on cooking, but I watched my mother one time. She was making these holiday Christmas cookies. And these were, these probably, that's one of my favorite cookies. And what she would do is she'd roll out this dough on the table. And the dough was actually very good to eat just without being cooked. But anyway, we try to stay out of that. And she would take these little, these little cookie cutters, you know, and she'd kind of put it on there. And she'd press them down. And then she would scrape away all the re- excess dough and then, you know, pull it up, and you'd have, like, a little Christmas tree or an angel, and there you got your cookie right there. All the other stuff kind of went away, but she had the cookie. And then, of course, all the attention was on the cookie. You know, you carefully put that thing on this little uh, uh, sheet, cookie sheet, and they put it in the oven. They bake it. Uh, then Mom had frosted, put these little sprinkles on it, and then I'd eat it. It was a wonderful combination, right? And I want you to know that you and I have to develop this kind of approach to how we love. We've got to put some parameters, things we say no to and things that we say yes to in terms of our thought life and what we think about. For the Bible says, it's pretty clear, Proverbs 23, verse 7, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. And so what are we to think about? Look what he says, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is according to reality, Whatever is in keeping with the revelation of God, what is true, true about God, true about life, true about how things work, true about reality, about Christ, about my relationship with him, about my sin, about my future, anything and the wide realm of truth, we are to dwell on the things that are true. Remember in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, be diligent to present yourself as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling what? Anybody know? The word of truth. We are to be a people of truth. We actually set our minds proactively on to that which is true. We don't just like lay around and wait for something to happen. We actually seek truth. We pursue it. Now, let me, let me just kind of bring this into some real world, world scenarios. Okay, all of us face difficulties, hardships, problems. I mean, we could go just around here, and people could stand up and say, tell us your hardest thing going on in your life. I mean, we could hear it all. Facing cancer. I am so concerned about one of my children. My marriage is a disaster. And we could just kind of keep going through there. I mean, we got serious heartache right here in this room. What, how, how is it that we actually take this verse and apply it to life? Well, those things are true. Our hearts are broken. We are worried about our kids and about our finances and how things are going to work out. But let us do what the passage says, whatever is true. What is completely true about your situation? Those are true, but it's not the full truth. Remember, there's God. Yes, we have difficulty. We have pain. We have brokenness. But we have God. God is always a part of the equation. In fact, you remember Jesus said, and by the way, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'll never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. 
I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the Christian actually uses his mind to think about what is true. And it helps us experience God's peace in our situation. So let me give you another situation. Temptation. Uh, Maybe you're tempted to covet your neighbor's possessions or their prestige or their power or their success. Or maybe you're facing uh, like a sexual temptation and you're like, whoa, my mind's going the wrong way. Okay, that is true. You're facing a test or you're facing temptation. Same Greek word. The difference is how you and I respond to it. We're facing it. That's true. But what's the whole truth? But God gives us a way to escape the temptation. Really? How do you know that? Because he has revealed truth in his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. True, you're facing temptation. But also true, God has provided a way of escape. Even if that means like Joseph... We've got to flee a situation. There is always a way out. That is engaging your mind into truth versus like you got that temptation and you and it's like a hook and you just like bite into it and it just starts dragging you to who knows where. We don't have to live that way. In fact, he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true. When you're reading an article, whether it be in a journal or a magazine, ask, is this really true? Because we want to dwell on truth. Notice what else he says. Finally, better than whatever is true. Whatever is honorable. Uh, This means to be worthy of respect, whether that be honorable character or actions or choices. To think about these things. To actually give our mind to thinking about. Instead of filling our mind with who knows what, we actually think about things that are honorable and, and worthy of praise. He also goes on to say, whatever is right. You see that? In verse 8, whatever is right has the idea of its conformity. It has conformity to God's standards. It's, it's actually right in God's sight. How do you know what's right in God's sight? Well, I actually think our conscience, in many respects, actually dictates that. But if you have any question, God's word shapes our understanding and our convictions and our understanding of what is right. And it helps us understand, think about these things rather than those. What is, what is right? Notice what else he says. This is a huge one. Whatever is Pure. You see that verse 8? Dwell on things that are pure. This has the idea of things that are morally clean, undefiled. And this is huge. I want to talk about this. I do not want to just kind of glaze over. Think about the things that are pure, and you're like, oh, don't go too deep on that one. Friends, I really think many Christians are losing the battle on this one. Whatever is pure. Let me just tell you the big why that's out there. Real intimacy is found outside of marriage. And in fact, we have, we live in a culture that is changing the way America thinks about what really it means to live and to experience oneness and wholeness and unity. In fact, we're in the process of redefining even what marriage is in our own country. And what, what the scripture says is think about things that are pure. You need to know that about like 90% of what TV and movie presents about marriage and wholesomeness and about what is right and what is the way to live 
is actually wrong when it comes to marriage and relationships with people of the opposite sex. It's, but let me tell you, if this, if the TV and the media and the movies and the magazines and the things that you find as you're going through the store continually are the shapers of your convictions and your values, you actually lose sight of what actually is pure and whatever is right. Um, like, let me, do you happen to know, by the way, the average American spends how much time watching TV a day? Anybody know? Well, according to Focus on the Family, January 2008, the average American spends four hours and 35 minutes having a TV shape their perception and understanding of reality, of what is right is wrong, right and wrong, what is moral, what is pure, what is the things to be pursued. Now, there's plenty of good things that are on TV. There are plenty of things that are just kind of mindless, but there's a whole lot of things that actually get you and I, our mind, going in the wrong direction. I mean, have you ever watched something and just kind of like walked away from this and like feeling like this is, I just feel unclean and uneasy about that. You know what's going on? It is the Holy Spirit, Christian, that is bringing about a conviction that this isn't right. This is taking you the wrong way. You're not setting your mind on things that are pure, on the contrary, and I'm not going to allow you to experience peace. There'll be an uneasiness with your soul. There's confession that is needed. It is like God is inviting us, come my way. But we have to be proactive. He says, not only whatever is pure, but whatever is lovely. This has the idea that it evokes love from within us. He says, if whatever is of good repute, if this has the idea of things that are admirable, things that you could recommend to another, that it's a good reputation. You'd feel comfortable standing up and saying, I would recommend this book or this movie. It's these things that are worthy of admiration. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What God wants us to see is there is so much good that we and I can dwell about. Truth about God, things in his word, about reality and our jobs, our relationships, our friendships. Um, there's truth about what is going on in, in our in our lives and, and how things are functioning in history, admirable qualities. There's so much good that you and I can give ourselves to. There are enjoyable movies. There are things that can be cherished. There are family memories. There is hope and expectation of the future. Dwell on these things. Anything that is worthy of praise that you could say, God, I thank you and praise you for this. Set your mind on these things. Set your mind on Christ. Set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on the earth. And if you're saying, but how is it possible that I can do that? This is, this is a whole, one of the whole purposes of you and I being in Christ is that we can actually set our minds on these things and experience the fullness of God's peace. Though through Christ, we can set our mind on God and then all that is good. Let me, let me bring your attention, Romans 8, in verses 5 through 8. Just listen to these words. He says, For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. If you're in, and when he says you're in the flesh, that is speaking of the the person who has never placed their faith in Christ. You just live on a plane where whatever you think, your self desires, they pretty much dictate and guide your behavior. But for the Christian, the one who has said, Lord, I need a savior from sin, and I ask that you would be Lord of my life. At this point, God actually puts his spirit in our life, and we actually are able to live differently because of God's presence in our life. And so he says, verse 6, for the mindset in the flesh is death, 
But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It will not help to try to clean up your act. It won't be like, I'm going to try to think about a few more positive things. God says, no, you have to know me. You have to actually trust me. You have to have a relationship with me through my son if you were actually to be pleasing in my sight. And so that is why the big urge of the Bible is that we place our faith in Christ. But you and I, as Christians, can set our mind on the things above. In Romans 12, verse 2, he says, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world place you in its mold, but rather what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You and I are renewed in our mind when we are actually doing what it says in verse 8. We are changed from within. And so the call here is friends, verse 8, loved ones in Christ, dwell on these things. Look for anything that is redeemable, valuable, holy, refreshing, renewing, speaking of God, worthy of praise, and set your mind on these things. Jesus is the one who said, you know, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. So what is what are you filling your heart with? What is your treasure? See, whatever we're putting in here, guys, it is a way of coming out our life. Some of you may remember this. Uh, June 7th, 2003, there was an 18-year-old man, I guess we could say, by the name of Devin Darnell. Uh, he decided to put into play what he'd been playing for some time. He, started, he decided that he would live out what he'd been thinking for some time. In fact, he'd been practicing. And so on June 7th, 2003, uh, Devin Darnell, he actually... Uh, went and he had been arrested while they were actually uh, fingerprinting him this 18 year old kid grabbed the gun of the police officer that was fingerprinting him shot that that officer and two other officers and escaped but was later later caught a couple years later july 28 2005 they began the hearings and I'd like you to hear what the defense attorney said. The defense attorney said that uh, the problem here with Devin is that he's suffering from what we would call post-traumatic stress disorder. And he is deluded by his obsessive playing of a game called Grand Theft Auto, which, by the way, is a, quite a popular game. I mean, you can go in the stores and you can find this. And the reason you can find it is because people buy this game. And let me just tell you what uh, his, the defense attorney said about this game. He says, well, quote, well, the way you win this video game is by getting a stolen car and getting arrested by the police and killing the police and escaping. Does this sound familiar? It's exactly what this guy did. Where did he get that idea? Where, where did that come from? Let me just tell you, what you and I put in our mind, it has a way of affecting how we live. That's what happened. 
That's a dramatic example. But friends, it's true across the board. And I just want to tell you, I, I think a major reason why the church in America is so anemic is because we polluted our minds. We hardly know what is evil anymore. We're like, really? That's sinful? <laughs> Come on. That's not sinful. That's not wrong. That's entertainment. Everybody knows that. Friends, that's not true. What are you putting your mind in? I, you know what is going on, don't you? We are losing our ability to discern. We have discarded dwelling upon truth, upon God, and we are basically generally feeding on whatever the world is serving. And I want to stand up today and say, this must stop. We must heed these words that are written in this text. And to not do so, it'll end up in our demise. By the way, I recently had a a non-Christian tell me that one of his great stumbling blocks to him placing his faith in Christ is that he knows Christians who basically fill their minds with all sorts of trash and he can't reconcile it. And I told him, well, don't let that stop you. I, and I apologized on behalf of these Christians. I'm like, that shouldn't be this way. But friends, you need to know your, the implications of our decisions and what we put in our mind. It has bearing even beyond what it does to us. It has bearing in our families. It has bearing within our friends, our coworkers, our classmates. They see this. They know this. God says, let them see me live differently. Follow this verse. Set your mind on things above, things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, whatever is of good repute, of excellence, anything worthy of praise. Dwell, think about about these things. You know, David said something pretty profound in Psalm 101, verse 3. He says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. And so the right response for what we should do here is say, Lord, I just want to open up my heart and my mind and my life to you. And I ask, Lord, that you would strip away the things that I'm feeding upon in this world that are not in keeping with verse 8. Because, Lord, I want to set and proactively focus on all the things that are true and noble and worthy and lovely. I want to be that kind of person. And, you know, Paul didn't leave it right there at verse 8. He said in verse 9, you know, You've seen this. You've seen it in me. He actually said, you know, if you were looking for a mentor for those who walk with God, look at verse 9. He says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I'll tell you, there is such great value for what we could call incarnational ministry. People who actually abide by the truth that they profess they actually believe in such a way that it affects their life. That is what, he, what he's talking about here. He embodies the truth that he espouses. He says, friends, this is not merely, this is not rhetoric. This is reality in my life, and you've seen it. The things that you've learned, you've seen, all, you've watched me practice these things. You've seen my focus on knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, my involvement in ministry, my value for unity, how I have I continually tell you to rejoice in the Lord because, friends, I have learned to do this, and you've seen me do this. 
choosing to give our anxieties to God, to pray specifically, to be thankful, to dwell on that which is noble, holy, and pure, and praiseworthy. He says, friends, you have seen this. And let me tell you, if, if you will take me up on this, if you will follow not only what I say, but how I've lived, notice how he concludes this, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, the God who is peace, he gives peace. How does he do that? Well, let me just tell you about God. He, he guards us. He guards us from the things that will get us astray, will cause us going over cliffs of despair, going into things that are going to corrupt our mind. He guides us. He says, come, follow me. Let your mind dwell upon truth. Learn to value and appreciate all that is lovely in life, whether that be in creation or your family or you're seeing people. Find joy and value and give me praise. He actually develops us. He matures us. He encourages us with his presence. And let me tell you, God accomplishes his work through his people who are moved and focused on the Holy Spirit. He says, and the God of peace, if you will practice these things and do them, the God of peace will be with you. So friends, what we do with our mind, guess what? It greatly affects our walk with God. If, uh, if you're here today and you're like, my walk with God is like in shambles. I've kind of like wandered very far from God. In fact, I'm not even sure how I ended up here today. Friends, if that is the case, these are your verses. This is the answer. Go to God and go to his word and follow what he has said. And so what we do is, what I'd like you to do is, I'd like you to ask yourself as you go through this week, start developing this pattern. Ask this question. Is this helping or hindering my walk with God? Just with your TV shows, the things you're reading, the things that you're talking about, is this helping or hindering? And the things that are helping, continue to cultivate and dwell them. If you see some things hindering, own up to it and say, you know what, I think I'm going to make some changes here. And let me give you the second thing I'd like to challenge you to do. Make it a point to dwell on the things that are worthy of of praise. Each day, find something that is worthy of praise and praise God for it. And just imagine, can you imagine? I've been trying to do this. What would happen if everyone in our church would do this? What would happen if we actually moved out of neutral, the tendency to be in neutral, and to stay focused on what God has called us to do? Imagine the great peace that would be prevalent in our life. And let me tell you one thing. If we do, the God of peace, who gives peace, according to the scripture, will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a clarion call to calling us out of complacency, if that's where we're at, out of living in the flesh when we're called to walk according to the spirit. And Lord, these words are given to us for our good, that we might experience the fullness of your life, to know you, the God of peace, in perhaps even fuller ways. And so, Lord, help us to dwell on the things as you have said, things that are true and honorable, right and pure, lovely, of good repute, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Lord, may we be marked out as a people who dwell on these things. And Father, I pray that we would live lives in such a way that we, like Paul, might be able to say the things that you've seen and heard in me. Practice these things so that, Lord, not only we would know, but the people in our world would know that the God of peace 
is with us. This we ask, Lord, for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to set our mind on things above. Let's worship him. And age to age he stands, and time is...